Welcome to another podcast from DigiGods uh, with your host, uh, with the ho- your host with the most information on film, Wade Major. I am Dupunks Derehebak Nanidanks Nahobebak, and here's Wade. <laughs> Thank you, Nadim. Uh, for those who uh, who were here last week, you will know that uh, Nadim's testing out his his hosting chops there with the I don't even know what you said. What was that? Yeah, it's my official name. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the name I give at Starbucks when I order a coffee. No, that's great. People have a stroke, I'm sure, when you do that. <laughs> yes, uh, Nadim is here uh, co-hosting with me, saving my butt on a time when the the Ides of August have uh, have taken a toll on this on this podcast. Uh, because Mark went and uh, cavorted off to France on a romantic escapade, uh, drop of a hat, just kind of threw caution to the wind, which is very unlike Mark, and uh, sent off to uh, to Paris for a week and a half. And uh, Tim is uh, running around the country. Uh, he's going to settle on back here after, well, the, by the time this podcast plays, the eclipse will be over. So, uh, you know, Tim will probably be uh, back in town. We're kind of, we're just on the on the cusp of the weekend recording this right now. So, um, yes, indeed, uh, we will uh, we'll be back in gear next week. And Nadim will be uh, breathing a sigh of relief that he doesn't have to sit here and do this anymore. But uh, thank you, Nadim, for uh, for sitting in for the guys. You are welcome. Yes, you are welcome, Wade. <laughs> uh, we have got uh, a whole bunch of stuff to talk about this week, mostly television. We are now getting into September, and you know, even though Netflix and Amazon and everybody else has 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 blown the lid off of the idea that everything has to premiere in the fall, which you know that's what it, way it used to be, right? Fall yep. was. TV premieres, and uh, still, everything kind of does premiere in the fall on the networks, so we wind up with tons and tons and tons of television in uh, in September, all of it the previous year's seasonal stuff, now making it out because they want you to catch up on the previous season or own the previous season, or else they want the new season to sell the previous season on disc. So there's a, there's a whole marketing strategy to it, so we wind up with tons and tons of television this time of year. Uh, but first... I'm going to roll through the uh, the other stuff that always drives Mark crazy, which is there are three things. Well, four things. There's uh, there's anime, kid vid, uh, British television, and uh, and classical music. And all of them drive Mark absolutely crazy when I talk about them. But you know, people like it, or some people do. So. Uh, uh, Naxos is very, very kind to us and always sends us some really, really interesting stuff on uh, classical music. It's uh, it's almost all Blu-ray stuff with Blu-ray audio, and Blu-ray audio is just to die for. So if you are a an audiophile and if you are a classical music buff, this stuff is meaningful to you because it's the it's like watching a concert or an opera or a ballet in your house with the best audio that you're ever likely to have. Uh, so I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Uh, his first one is Richard uh, Richard Wagner's Parsifal, the uh, the uh, one of the more kind of uh, one of the one of the more highly acclaimed Wagnerian operas. Uh, this is performed by at the Dutch National National Opera by the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra. I'm sure I destroyed that pronunciation. This is on Blu-ray with just to the absolutely to die for audio, uh, absolutely beautiful um, production. I can't really judge. I've never really seen you know. Any, anything, uh, I've never seen Parsifal, I don't really know how to, uh, this is the only exposure I've ever had to it, so I wouldn't know how to compare it. Uh, Mahler's Eighth Symphony, performed by the Lucerne uh, Festival Orchestra, is, you know, either you love Mahler or you don't, but Mahler is big and powerful and and long. This is an hour and a half of, the, of a rather extraordinary symphony, beautiful performance of it, and again, extraordinary audio, really extraordinary audio. This is region-free, so... Uh, anybody around the world can thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, for ballet fans, interestingly, I just saw a ballet movie uh, last week, the uh, the Weinstein film Leap, 
the name. That was what I saw right before we recorded last week. Did I mention that to you? Uh, you did. Yeah. It's did actually, you like it? I did like it. I did like it. I mean, it's a ballet angle, right? It's a little, you know, it's a little girl, a little boy, two orphans, and it's a French-Canadian and French-animated production. Uh, these orphan kids, turn of the century, run to Paris to fulfill their dreams. I, I, I teared up a little bit, mm. you know, which I don't usually uh, with animated films. But anyway, um, speaking of ballet, Ballet du Capitole. This is uh, three ballets staged by uh, Kader Bellarbi. Le Corsair, La Bête et la Belle, Beauty and the Beast, and La Reine Morte, The Dead Queen. Uh, this is a great box set from Opus Arte, and, um, you know, I, it's quite nice. La Reine Morte is uh, Tchaikovsky's music, which is it absolutely just, if, even if you don't like ballet, the, the music is amazing. And, uh, you know, the uh, La Bête et la Belle, um, not bad either. I wasn't familiar with it, but it's, uh, it's quite nicely done. The Beast, performed uh, by Takafumi Watanabe, by the way. Really, really well done. Uh, live from the Concert de Gabu in Amsterdam again is Kit Armstrong performing Bach's Goldberg Variations and its predecessors. The and its predecessors is significant if you are a purist. Uh, really, really very interesting uh, performance here. Uh, if you're familiar with the Goldberg Variations, some of the gr greatest music Bach ever wrote, really impressive. Uh, beautiful keyboard work. Pixel, a choreography by Murad Merzuki. This is kind of avant-garde uh, dance stuff. Not really my my thing, but it's a it's a it's a nicely produced Blu-ray. Very very nicely produced. Uh, not just straight performance. This is you know uh, eleven dancers in a in a very kind of cool experimental dance production. It's a it's you know it it it. I mean, for people who like this kind of stuff, it's it is uh, it's definitely cool. Uh, the Royal Swedish Ballet doing Midsummer Night's Dream, which is really, really a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't even know there was a Royal Swedish Ballet, but they're great. They're absolutely terrific. So I, I love the Swedes. I have friends in Sweden, and uh, this, is a, this is a terrific Blu-ray from Bel Air. And uh, let's see. Um, I'll throw a couple of these out there. We've got two Verdi's and one Puccini. Can I channel Mark? Oh, yes, by all means. Ah! <laughs> this, is, this is what Mark hates. Uh, Puccini's La Boheme, performed by uh, the um, Malma Opera Orchestra and Chorus and Malma Children's Chorus, also in Sweden. That's where a lot of my friends live. They live in Malma. Uh, Verdi's Don Carlo and uh, Il Trovatore, one by the uh, Teatro Reggio Parma and Festival uh, Verdi Parma, and the other one by the uh, Maserata Opera Festival. Um, and then the uh, last one I'm going to mention here is uh, the... Uh, you know what, actually, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to torment Mark with those next time. And then we have a couple of things that are not uh, classical necessarily. Mala Blues is a... This, you would, you would, this is interesting. This from is, Mali? Yeah, from Mali. Uh, Mali Blues is uh, all about the music of, uh, of you know, the, the, the origins of the music that blues kind of is inherited from, mm. which, is, which is Malian. And I didn't know that. Like, did you know that? I did not know specifically for the blues, but it is uh, um, music from Mali specifically is, uh, is um, um, considered original African music. Yeah. It's very interesting too because I did I covered you know on my last film week I we reviewed a uh, uh, a, uh, a documentary that talks about the influence of Native American music mm. in in both blues and R and B and rock and roll and how, you know a lot of the uh, a lot of the acts in the '60s especially surf music acts that adopted those rhythms to guitars and drums and you don't realize that but that's where a lot of it comes from it's really interesting and this is uh, similar in some respects this is from icarus films any, home video any cora players on there or cora yeah um that's the uh, the uh, guitar like instrument made yes. of uh, of gourd yeah yeah yeah, yeah which is yeah. very traditional mali yeah yes so very, yes. very haunting very beautiful it's really it, Keita, a lot of it, people use it it's really that. really nice so you know you 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 and and a lot of this wraps around to hip-hop in the present day and you know music informs music informs music i mean it goes back and forth as all art does i guess so uh Mally blues is really uh, quite a wonderful documentary and then uh also the gospel according to al green which 
is on Blu-ray from uh, MVD and you know, or MVD stands for Music Video Distributors. They just go by MVD now. Uh, this is fantastic. 96 minutes of just vintage Al Green as shot by uh, Robert Muggy, who has done more great music documentaries than anybody else uh, that I can think of. The, uh, the Gospel According to Al Green. Absolutely just fantastic performance work from one of the all-time great performers. And then uh, EODM, which means Eagles of Death Metal. I love you all the time. Live at the Olympia in Paris. Uh, I've never been to the Olympia in Paris. You ever been to the Olympia? Yeah. How is it ago. when you're there? Is it? It's nice, very it nice. It looks yeah, like yeah. a terrific. I've yeah, only ever yeah, seen yeah. it on on disc. It looks yeah. like a great venue. No, it's a great venue. Yeah, that's where the, all the all the big concerts. Everybody plays there. there yeah. yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so I've never been there. I need to. This was on uh, February 16th. I can't exactly say that I uh, really love the music necessarily. A lot, but that being said, the um, what happened is, the reason this is significant is that uh, this is this directly ties in with the the day that the terrorist attacks happened in Paris. And uh, they were performing on November thirteenth at the Bataclan, and um, they came back several months later to finish the show at the Olympia. And so that's what uh, that's why this is a little bit more significant. Uh, none of the acts necessarily are, you know, my favorite. It's not my favorite kind of music, but I I feel like you know I, I sort of it it feels significant enough. Yeah. You know, it feels like it's got a certain level of importance. All right, so Nadim, where shall we where shall we begin? You're a digigod here for for a moment. Uh, we have television. We have new movies. We have documentaries. There is one documentary in particular I really want to get to. It's 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 uh, this one. Uh, so maybe we talk about. Let's this. talk about the documentary. Let's talk about this. Oh, <laughs> when did that come out? This week. <laughs> it's, so here's the here's the worst timing ever for a documentary. PBS this week <laughs> is releasing the Frontline documentary, Bannon's War. <laughs> Uh, inside Stephen Bannon's fight to transform America and deliver on President Trump's promises. Now, here's, here's what's funny about this. We got this actually about three weeks ago. Uh, Frontline is amazing in that if something happens in the news, those Frontline documentary filmmakers can turn around a documentary like that. So they what they did addendum to what, this? What they, well, no, they didn't. This is, what, this is the flip side to that, which is they thought they turned a documentary around like that, and then just as quickly, he gets fired. <laughs> and now this is practically an obsolete thing. So it's, it's um, you just never know. Yeah. You just never know. Well, but, not according to what he said last week, um, yeah. which is that uh, he's now got his guns loaded. Yeah. Too. And he's no. got uh, the proper... Uh, I mean, who knows? But, but what's, 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 what's interesting is that, uh, and this is from the people that do the, uh, the choice Every year, you know, every election year, the uh, the frontline team will make the choice all about the election. So these are very, very skilled documentarians, and they they really know how to put this together on the fly. And their their instincts are just superb. And they do this almost in their sleep. Uh, but um, it's just interesting that the you know when this was made, he was an insider, and he was part of the, the he was he had the president's ear, and yeah. now he's no longer there. So we'll see, but it, it just, it's funny how the news cycle just whipped this film. And he was the last one to have the president's ear. Yeah, yeah. Now they're all gone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Amer and speaking of, here's another one, American Patriots, American Patriot Inside the Armed Uprising Against the Federal Government. Another frontline doc. This is all about the, uh, the thing that happened with the Bundy family in Nevada mm -hmm. and Oregon and, you know, Clyde Bundy and his son and, you know. Uh, it's... It's a lot less interesting uh, than I think the film probably makes it out to be. Yeah, I actually saw that uh, yeah. on on television. Yeah, uh, and uh, I s almost was ready to. I wanted to know what happened. Yeah, as opposed to uh, so sort of beginning and end are interesting. It's uh, stuff in the middle yeah. was a bit frivolous. Yeah, it it it's yeah. It didn't I mean, add it, to the. It just feels like. I mean to use filmic parlance you know uh and you know this as well as i do it um it feels like the pitch was better than the movie yeah right yeah 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 it feels like a great pitch but not too much 
Uh, we, everybody loves penguin documentaries. Ever since uh, you know the uh, the Morgan Freeman narrated right. uh, March of the Penguins, that that people just love penguins. Uh, they rediscovered penguins. Uh, the Penguin Counters is a documentary by a, a documentary team called Peter Getzels and Harriet Gordon. This is released from First Run Features, and uh, it, you know, is it March of the Penguins? No, but it's it's awfully close. Uh, the photography is just absolutely stunning and gorgeous, and uh, the penguins are fun. And these are different penguins. These are not uh, the emperor penguins. This is mostly in um, in Argentina. You know, the uh, down in Patagonia, there are just tons and tons of penguins right. as well because it's very, very close to the uh, to Antarctica down there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great. And, and when you watch this, you just think, wow, everybody really does love penguins. And then you look into the DVD extras, and there's a featurette called Everybody Loves Penguins. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Like, I literally said that. Thing. I, I was like, everyone loves penguins. There it is. Everyone loves penguins. And uh, related to that is sea gypsies, the far side of the world. Now, you often call yourself a gypsy. Yes. Yes. And what is this about? Are you a sea gypsy? Uh, I am a sea gypsy. Okay. I love to sail. And well, uh, this is this is about a group of people who built a 120 foot boat, and then took an 8,000 mile journey from New, uh, journey from New Zealand to Patagonia, stopping off only once to look at some penguins in Antarctica. It's it's just I mean these people just said hey let's just throw caution to the wind and let's just go build a boat and go on a trip and this is a regular boat or a Contiki type boat no it's an actual like yacht kind of boat I mean it's not no it's not Contiki they're not <laughs> rafting it <laughs> that would be depressing <laughs> no 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 uh, but it's actually you know I mean they're it, it's an interesting bunch of people that's the most interesting thing is you're watching this bunch of people and there are some interesting episodes that happen along the way. Uh, you know, there's like an, an environmental group and there's some other things, some sort of not so great things that happen along the way. But it's really a, a cool epic odyssey. Uh, well, really you know, is. it's it's uh, it's part of a lot of people's uh, odysseys. Yeah. I have a lawyer friend who sold a uh, successful lawyer business, sold his uh, law firm um, a year ago, a yeah. year and a half ago. Right. And he's been preparing. He bought a yacht and he's been preparing for um, basically around the world. No and kidding. He sold everything, and he's just simply going uh, um, around the world. Whoever wants to, he has a schedule of where he might be, and he'll update his website. No kidding. Anybody who wants to hop on board with him and uh, and do a leg or two, but uh, he just wants to see the world That's for great. as long as it takes him. That's fantastic. Yeah. I wish I had that kind of money. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, to I mean, again, it's not a horrible lot of money he had. Yeah. I mean, he had a law firm. He sold the law firm. He had big money. Um, but um, that's it. See, I mean, you know, you only have one. That's why Mark is in France. Yeah. He's throwing caution to the wind. He's doing it. Yeah. Uh, another great documentary from First Run Features is Maiko, Dancing Child. Uh, this is by Osa Svenheim Drivenis. I always love the name Osa because I have a good friend in Sweden named Osa. Uh, that's an A with a little circle over the top of it. Uh, this is uh, this is really an interesting look inside the 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 incredible difficulty of what it is to become a ballerina, a prima ballerina, following one by the name of Maiko Nishino, who is Japanese, and um, it, it's it's the sacrifices that her family made and what the, she went through from the time she was a teenager. And you know the culture clash and everything else that's involved in uh, in this particular you know in her particular journey is is really an insight not just into what she went through particularly but for what really you know all all those who aspire to uh, be elite uh, ballet dancers male and female what they go through. Uh, the last few real quickly with great Lee uh, sorry with great power the Stan Lee story is exactly what it purports to be a documentary all about Stan Lee. Uh, it, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty standard. Uh, has a filmmaker commentary and uh, tons of featurettes and other interviews, all the stuff that they didn't actually cut into the final film. Uh, but it's just a look at Stan Lee and his, you know, his successes, his battles, and it'll be really sad when he finally goes because I won't have that cameo to look forward to anymore in every single Marvel film. Because Stan Lee in every single Marvel film is just you know, one of those one of those fun little things. Even the animated ones, like. Uh, Does he have any like children? Stan Lee? Yes. Maybe they could do it. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, Stan Lee. Stan Lee has, uh, Stan Lee has 
a, a fascinating life. He's had a fascinating life. So um, he's 91 years old. Might be 92 now. Anyway. And then the last three documentaries, really quickly. Hearing is Believing uh, is a Blu-ray R. This is a, uh, a uh, manufacturer-on-demand uh, documentary, but it's really, really worth it if you want to see it. It's all about Rachel Flowers. It's called Hearing is Believing, directed by Lorenzo Di Stefano. Um, and Rachel Flowers is an, is an extraordinary story. Uh, she was prematurely born and went uh, and became blind as a result. But she... She also, in addition to having that handicap, she has perfect pitch, which has made her a legend in the music world. And uh, it's it's sort of, a, you know, it's one of those great tri uh, failure and triumph or affliction and triumph stories that uh, just really inspires more than even a, a narrative film could because a narrative film could never actually communicate the magnitude of how extraordinary the story is. It's just really, really wonderful. So... Um, Absolutely worth checking out. Wonderful documentary called Hearing is Believing, all about the amazing story of Rachel Flowers. Uh, Oliver Stone's uh, Ukraine on Fire. Um, you know, did you see this? Have you seen Ukraine no. on Fire? There have been a bunch of Ukrainian documentaries, and uh, I, this is not the one that I really wanted to see. Uh, this is from Cinema Libre. It's, it's good, but it, um, I think it kind of misses the mark a little bit. It, it, it's complementary to the others, uh, but for all of the stuff that's gone from 2004 to that whole decade after 2004, then the Orange Revolution and everything that has sort of happened politically with you know Putin and the invasion of Crimea and all of that, I, I, I kind of find I kind of feel like it's um, it's trying to cover too much and it winds up covering things selectively. So uh, it's a little bit hard for me to completely recommend it. And then the, uh, the last one is Vita Activa, The Spirit of Hannah Arendt, one of the most uh, influential thinkers of the 1960s. Um, her, her book, The Banality of Evil, is sort of the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Bible of how to identify dictators and authoritarians. And uh, it was uh, you know, specifically written around the trial of Adolf Eichmann, which she covered as a journalist for New Yorker. Uh, a really uh, fascinating life, an extraordinary woman. Um, the narrative film by Margareta von Trotta about her life uh, came out a few years ago, and this is a nice compliment to it. Probably should have been an extra on it. There's so much in here, it's just impossible to sort of completely wrap yourself around it, but she is one of the great figures of the 20th century. Her writings are just magnificent, and uh, you know, getting this first-person first-hand insight into her life and, and her writings and the controversies around her is really quite a journey. So, very cool. All right, Nadim, what else? Uh, Did you say a circle on the O? Circle on the O, yeah, a little, little circle over the A. A, the A. The A. Okay. Did I say O? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I no, heard it's O. Osa. It's yeah. Osa. Ben, it's yeah, that, a circle. That little circle uh, makes right. you... Because yeah. on the O you have the umlaut, which is two dots. Yes. Now, the circle on the A is... Yeah. Or something like that in Swedish. I, I specific to Swedish. I wish I knew. Yeah, very specific to Swedish. And I wish, I wish I understood what all the accents in Czech mean because they've got like fifty. Yeah. Everything has an accent. Well, in in, in learned Arabic, there is hundreds of accents. Oh, really? Yeah, and each accent makes the word a completely different meaning. No kidding. Yeah, it's such a rich language that, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, gets associated with the crap. But the language is extremely, extremely rich. I, I, I you know, I, I, when I worked at Air France, I was one of the remedial employees because I only spoke French. Everyone else there spoke like a, you know half a dozen languages. So I mean, I, I, I've always had a fascination with it. But the older, it seems to me that the older the language, the more variations there are because it's been around for so long. So you have a richness of dialects right. and. And you know, like like with Arabic, you have learned Arabic and you have colloquial Arabic, and it's the same thing with uh, Latin languages, which all you know, I mean, Lat even if they're not as old as Latin, they're derivations of something that's very very old, so they inherit that. But it seems like even you know, Armenian has a lot of the same stuff as well. All these very very old languages, Greek, yeah, it's all, it's yeah, all, yeah. It's all Greek to me. Uh, television, what anything in anything in the in the television file that jumps out at you? Yes. What, what specifically? America's Test Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. you, now, I, now we I, should, we, I, let me preface this by saying, 
that Nadim is an extraordinary cook. And when we're done with this podcast, part of the part of his obligation to me, uh, it seems like I should be cooking for you, <laughs> frankly. But is that uh, we're going to go into the kitchen? We're going to have an amazing meal. Nadim comes from a family of an unbelievable chefs and incredible cooks, and his mother is just a legend. And uh, so carry on. And you can check out my mother's cookbook, Nora's Recipes from Egypt. Yes. At uh, Nora's Food. Look up for Nora's Food. Nora's Food. Nora's Food. It's fantastic. I love your mom's cookbook. Um, it's great. Yes. Yeah, so it does. Uh, it does jump out at me because yes. I happen to be a. Uh, I happen to be a um, a cord cutter when it comes to yeah. television. Yeah. And so I get a lot of the PBS channels over the air. Yeah. And uh, this comes on quite often. <laughs> so I get there and I sit and I watch these people cook in nothing but, uh, you know, clarified butter and lard <laughs> and all this stuff. And uh, um, look, I'll glean some of the uh, ideas from them, but uh, the cooking is... Uh, Heavy for my taste, but it's a, it's interesting. It's an interesting show. It it really is. I mean, I uh, a, a lot of this, you know, out of every every show that I watch of this, and I'll watch a smattering or a sampling of them. And there's there's usually I enjoy watching them make all the dishes, even though most of them are things that I would never eat in a million true, years. True. Right. True. There's something just about the process that is really really interesting and entertaining. Uh, the uh, they have you know a thing here on the, the fourth disc fast food makeovers which you know you it, it it's artistry I'm never in a million years going to eat anything that they're making over it's still fast food yeah. but uh, you know yeah I, I enjoy seeing what they're doing um, some of the dessert stuff here is just for to die for and uh, it's uh, it's a they lot have of recipes fun. on the DVD as well oh yeah. yeah oh yeah for sure yeah 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 that's the whole that's the whole deal that's the whole deal what uh, oh. Yeah, Archie's Weird Mysteries, the complete series. Of, of the two, of the two uh, old comic books that uh, I had growing up in Africa, mm -hmm. in in, um, in deprived Africa from this sort of culture, was Archie and yeah. Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to what this is. This is a series that never should have existed. Uh, <laughs> truly, this never should have existed. I this came, this was made in the late 1990s. So I used to watch the Archie series when I was a kid, the original Archie series, which is fine. You know, uh, it's it's not great animation. It's pulled from the comics, and it's it's very fine. And then somebody had the idea to do Archie is like a mystery show is to, to sort of uh, Scooby-Doo it up in the late 90s and it was it was one of the strangest shows ever it's 40 episodes uh, it's it's immersing the Archie gang in the world of Frankenstein and it's just it's just bizarre it really is bizarre it doesn't work in any way at all and uh, Archie's weird mystery Archie's weird mysteries 40 episodes of this thing oh my made. goodness I know it's such a strange anachronistic odd bizarre thing uh yeah here's something from acorn uh delicious series one speaking of cooking uh and cooking things so uh ian glenn plays a professional chef we love ian glenn he's just one of the all-time great actors and uh he he is here at the center of a a lot of un well uh what i put it he's he now, he's a hotel owner, and this is sort of, I don't want to call it like Faulty Towers, because it's not. It's not Faulty Towers. It's, it's like a dramatic, with comedic edges version of kind of a, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. Like a it. Faulty, Faulty Towers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a soap opera that takes place, you know, around the, the, the cooking in the hotel business. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the best thing about this is that uh, Ian Glenn's ex-wife here is played by Dawn French, uh, formerly French and Saunders, who you know was one of the co-creators of AbFab, and uh, that's a pairing I never would have thought of in a million years. Never in a million years. Ian Glenn and Dawn French, no, and you know what? Absolutely terrific. Really, really great. So um, yeah, this is a, this is a fun UK series, and uh, there are four episodes in series one, because you know that's what they do in the UK. They they take their time with stuff. And then from uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers has uh, given us many, many dark TV shows. Uh, here, now you don't you don't watch any of the uh, 
the the DC stuff, do you? Uh, no, Su Supergirl, no, Flash, but I Arrow. Did, I did watch the first season of Gotham. Okay, so so this is the third season of Gotham. Why did you not watch more than the first season? Because towards the end of the season, it got old and extremely repetitive. Totally, I agree. I thought that I thought it got there by the middle of the first season. Lost interest after, yeah, exactly. Completely. Four, five, six episodes yeah. in, I was going, really? Is this what's going to happen for the rest of the season? Yeah. Thank you. So I've had to skip around a little bit as we've gotten these, and um, it's definitely better in the third season. And the funny thing is, this is what I find really interesting. So, so Gotham is a DC series. You know, DC can't they they Warner and DC can't get their act together. So Gotham is a DC series for television that is not connected to the other DC shows on television, which I think is kind of a mistake. Because, you know, uh, Flash and The Arrow and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow are all part of the same Arrowverse. They call it the Arrowverse. And they're all part of the same thing. They all interconnect and jump over and crisscross with each other, and that, that's a thing. Um, but... And you know, there's even the, the, the there was even a, a multi-part, like a three-part episode uh, where aliens invade the uh, the, the Flash, the, the Earth around the Flash, and it becomes a crossover between three of the shows. It's very unusual. So, but I think they should have been able to figure out how to make Gotham part of that as well. They should have been able to do that at least because Supergirl's on a different Earth from the others, you know. So they can they should have been able to figure out how to tie this into Supergirl a little bit. But they haven't, and I think it's kind of a mistake. I'd prefer the movies also tie in, but anyway, that said, I think part of the problem is that that Gotham doesn't sort of it, it lives in a world all its own. So it's a it's well, I mean, it's also it's also the the making of Batman. Yeah. Uh, so the others have already arrived at their yeah destination, so to speak. Yeah, it's I just I don't know. It's uh, didn't didn't work as well as I, I thought it should have. Anyway, fourth season of the originals is also out. Uh, which includes the uh, Comic-Con panel and gag reel from uh, just this uh, last year. And, uh, you know, the originals is a little bit running on fumes. Uh, this, this whole kind of, uh, this whole kind of uh, um, supernatural monster thing that began with Buffy and extended through the Twilight movies and then all of the Vampire Diaries and all that, I think has kind of run its course, uh, but you know, it, 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 it's, it's still really well done. I mean, the writing staff still seems to have enthusiasm for it. And uh, Black Sails is also in its fourth season on Stars. Have you ever seen Black Sails? I tried to see it once. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's well done. It's very I well done. I just somehow didn't have any interest in, yeah. in the storyline. Yeah, you gotta kind of stick. Don't know why? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I enjoy the aesthetic of it more than anything else. The fact that it's pirates Agreed. on TV. Agreed. Right. It's just like oh, which I'm is why I tuned in. Yeah, yeah. It's and stars, you know, gives them a, a really good budget. I think. Um, I mean, maybe fourth season. Do you remember which season you watched? Which uh, which part? It was the first season. It was first season. It's gotten better, like yeah. the others. It's gotten better. Uh, it's definitely stepped. Well, up. generally in serials, I mean, second, third season is when they start becoming good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Often they're still looking for their legs in the first season. Very much, very true. Uh, another star show is The White Princess, which uh, I, you know, um, I have mixed feelings about, to be honest. Uh, it, it, it feels a little bit trashy, uh, more so than I like for, for these kinds of um, what they call legacy shows. I like the BBC approach more. You know, this is, this deals with the uh, the marriage between King Henry the Seventh and Elizabeth of York, and all of the nasty court intrigue that uh, surrounds all of those those bits of British history. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I uh, there's something there's something to it. I wish it weren't quite so trashy, but I want something more like the, uh, you know, like what uh, Netflix has been doing with The Crown. That's kind of what I want. But anyway, that's uh, that is also on Blu-ray, and then. Um, Supergirl. Let's talk for a moment about Supergirl because we talked about Flash and all that nonsense. So, uh, have you seen Supergirl? Uh, I have not. Okay, so I'm like the worst host here. No, have you seen anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> but you've worked in television, so I want your your insight into yeah. this. So, what happens on a TV show when, over the course of, I mean, you were on Who's the Boss for how Who's how the long? Boss how many years? Four, at least four years. Okay, so by the time you get to the fourth. Or the, or the fourth of those four years, 
Is there a fatigue factor setting in with people? Do people feel like, okay, you know, we're going through the motions, we're resting on our laurels, it's, it's getting repetitive? Um, you know, again, if there's anything, any medium that is, uh, is tailor-made for stars, it would be episodic television. Because mm -hmm. generally, for the most part, people tune in especially on the smaller shows, tune in to see the star of the show. Right. So at that point, once you have them tuning in to see the star of the show, the rest of the show doesn't have to be as unique or as interesting as, say, a film does where you get right. one shot at it. Yeah. And that's it. Um, but yes, fatigue does, does uh, come in. And it depends, too, on what you... Um, uh, you know, you take something like Twin Peaks. Sure. Um, and we know, minute, we, and we know the, the people on Twin, who, who are doing Twin Peaks. The minute you reveal, not the recent one, but the original one. Yeah. The minute you revealed who Laura Palmer was, yeah. the show finished. Yeah. Nobody wanted to tune in anymore. Yeah. Um, the show that I happen to work on, Who's the Boss, it, there was a tension between... Tony and Angela, and whether they were had the thing going or whether they're gonna yeah. get married and yeah. whatever. And if you ever resolve that, you've sort of ended the show. Right. So I think that has something to do with it too. I mean, on say Supergirl is probably a, a separate thing every week. Um, well, there's a yeah, here's where I'm going with this because there's a thing that that they do on all of the Arrowverse shows, uh, which. You know, I and I was just saying I, it's funny because I was I was going back and forth with in, in email on this with Tim this last week just commenting on this, and the there's premium cable. Speaking of like the new Twin Peaks, um, you do shows that are eight to thirteen episodes. You know, like Defenders is eight episodes, uh, Ozark is ten. Most of the episodes of of other Netflix shows are thirteen. Something like Man in the High Castle, I think, is ten. So, you know, you, you're 8 to 13, you make a really tight set of episodes. They really, it's a, it's a, it's a single storyline, it's serialized, and you're, there's no fat. I get the feeling with, especially Flash, but to an extent Supergirl as well, that they wish that they were a premium show, because then they could tell their 8 or 10 episode storyline tightly. But instead, they've got about 8 episodes or 10 episodes of story, but they've got 22 hours they have to fill. So you'll get a lot of filler. There'll be episode, you know, an episode will end with a cliffhanger, and then the next episode is just ah, it's some 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 damn thing happens, and no, oh. and at the end of that episode, oh, now we're back on track, right? So it's sort of like every every other episode is just some crap filler show, and that gets tiresome after a while. Yeah, you feel like you're yanking my chain a little bit. You know, the the cliffhanger isn't a cliffhanger until next episode. It's a cliffhanger until two episodes from now. So uh, you know this this is the um, this is the complete second season and uh, it's you know Superman makes a makes an appearance here and uh, it's you know uh, but still it's got that problem twenty two episodes and there's only about maybe ten or eleven of them that really feel like they're focused uh, the rest of it all just feels like treading water a little bit what is nice is that there's a thing on here Supergirl lives is a commentary with Andrew Freisberg and Kevin Smith so Kevin Smith brings his his comic nerdiness to to bear. I have a question for you. Yes. Do superheroes ever get old? Well, on the Flash, y well, yeah, it depends. I mean, in the comics, yes. Because can comics, we do, do like, you know, you know, um, uh, a show with what? A show with. Um, with older superheroes, oh. like uh, grumpy old superheroes. Oh, you mean like uh, like, uh, uh, like like seventy-five octogenarian superheroes? Oh, like like Superman when his prostate when, when his prostate is exactly. screaming and it's exactly. just, there's no stopping that. Absolutely, I yeah. think that would be wonderfully hilarious. <laughs> Super old lady. The well, they, there's a little bit of that on Flash, uh, kind of because the uh, one of the one of the, the do you remember the the, Fla the original Flash series from ninety one or something like that no. 1991, 92? So yeah, so there was a, there was originally a Flash series from the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, somewhere you know. Anyway, uh, and the actor who played Flash on that show 
plays both the new Flash's father and his doppelganger in an, on another Earth, who is the original Flash from like the Golden Age Flash with the helmet and the whole thing. So there's a connective thing between the two shows. And Mark Hamill, who played the, uh, the trickster on that original Flash, has come back a few times to play the trickster on the new Flash series. Like, I, I don't like, know why I know that. Yes, like anybody outside <laughs> the writers would know that. I guarantee I, you there isn't yeah. a single person watching that show can put those two things together. It's silly. I'm a nerd. Okay, second season of Lucifer, uh, which airs on Fox, is also out. Um, I don't really find this show all that compelling at all. This is also a Warner show. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's trying to, it, again, it's pushing the whole supernatural theme to a place that's almost preposterous. But, uh, you know, it's, it's okay, it's okay uh, as far as it goes. It's just it's, the genre is worn out. The show makes a good try of it. Uh, and then quickly, a couple from Acorn, uh, 800 Words, Season 2, Part 2. I wish they really wouldn't do that. We'd rail on that all the time. But uh, the, uh, this is the, a, a very highly acclaimed New Zealand series, which is worth checking out. Eight episodes on two discs here. Uh, it's just, you know, any, anything that shows me a nice New Zealand uh, rural coastal town is, is going to get my affections because I just think it's super cool. And then also from Acorn is Series 2 of Dominion Creek, which is uh, a Canadian, um, uh, Canadian Western show that is uh, pretty darn well done. I don't really, uh, I haven't seen the, anybody in the cast kind of break out, and I kept hoping that they would, but uh, this, is a, this is a really solid show. So uh, if you want to see a good Western show, Dominion Creek, season two, really, series two, really uh, fits the bill. Uh, anything else in TV that's jumping out at you there, Nadim? Anything that... Uh, you, 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 the cord cutter in you is just is, is, is thanking God that you don't have to see any of this. Billions? Yeah, Billions. You seen Billions? I've seen some of the shows. Good show. You know, I caught up on Billions on, uh, on the plane when I was flying to ah. and from Dubai. It was that 16-hour flight to and from Dubai. I watched a lot of Billions. And uh, do you have, how do you feel about it? It's okay? It's okay. Yeah? It's okay. Um you like the performances? So I've been trying to figure out why it isn't. Over the top. I've been trying to figure out why I don't think it's better than okay because I know a lot of people love this show. So tell me what you think of this assessment. Um, it's a it's a cat and mouse show with two. Okay, let me back up. One of the things that makes a show like the superhero shows work, whether it's Flash, whether it's Daredevil, whether it's DC, Marvel, whatever is the fact that the, the dynamics, the power dynamics, are always shifting. It's not just that you have a different villain every week, but it's that the relationships relative to the villains are always changing. For example, on Flash, you have people who go from being morally neutral to morally positive, and from morally positive to morally negative. Everybody's always crossing that. You have villains that become heroes, and heroes that become villains, and everybody's always kind of crossing over that, that threshold. And you, even on something like, you know, Daredevil, there's always the question, is Daredevil going too far? Or is he not going too far? Um, on Ozark, which is one of my new favorite hated shows <laughs> because it's, it's humanity at its worst and I can't stop watching it, um, there's always, you know, you, you always ask yourself, who, who really is worse here? Where is that moral line? On Billions, these two guys are sort of going to be where they are. I, if you're rooting for... You know, Paul Giamatti, you're rooting for Paul Giamatti. And season after season, you never sort of say, oh, he's gone too far. Because he's already a jerk. They're both jerks. It's just a question of which one of them is going to win this war. And they're never going to bring that war to an end because then the show would end. The show's done. So uh, you're not really forcing me to choose between them. I'm not, my loyalties aren't crossing that line. Does that make sense? It does. Am I, am I overthinking it? Well, I'm, I'm wondering whether you're just comparing to different genres. Maybe. You talk about the superheroes, well... But even there, Ozark, there, right? Even there, something is, like there Ozark. is a right and there is a wrong, technically, uh, in those shows. Where here you have two wrongs. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, I, I love both these actors. Damian Lewis is terrific. They keep talking about him as being the next uh, James Bond, which I don't, frankly, mm, see. I think he's, yeah. I, he's not right for it, but he's also a little bit too old. But... Uh, 
you know, they, they want to get like a, at least 15 years out of a bond these days. And we, nobody wants a 60-year-old Roger Moore anymore. It's not an intimidating spy. No. A 65-year-old guy who wears a toupee. It's not, no. But um, it's well done. I mean, it's really well done. It's well written. It's got some great dialogue and the insight into stock trading. For those who don't know, basically Damian Lewis is a, is a billionaire who's uh, skirting on the edge and doing some unethical things. And Paul Giamatti is the U.S. attorney who wants to bring him down and use him as a stepping stone for his, his political ambitions. And then there are the wives and the women who sit between them and, you know, all, this, all, these, uh, all these power machinations. But I, I kind of still feel like, you know, I mean, it's a Showtime show, and uh, I still sort of feel like the, the second season is doing mostly what the first season did. So, anyway, let's hope it, uh, it switches it up at some point. Uh, there's also a new Poseidon Adventure, by the way, for those who care. This was in 2004, and it's, it was terrible, and it's out on Blu-ray, and I, I just I can't recommend it because the original is still the only one worth seeing. This had Rutger Hauer and Adam Baldwin and Peter Weller and a bunch of other people in it. Anyway, uh, Mill Creek put it out, took a look at it again. Not really worth it. What else do we have in the TV pile? Of note. Of note. Um, again, cord cutting. I've seen PBS the Murdoch Mysteries. Have you seen any? Of I these? have. Yes, Murdoch Mysteries season ten. That's uh, on Blu-ray. We covered this actually uh, a couple of weeks ago on DVD. It is now on Blu-ray. So I will uh, I will just reinforce that for people. If you are a fan of where Murdoch Mysteries has gone as a show uh, of late, which is uh, you know some really interesting turns. This is into uh, Edwardian era Toronto. Um, uh, it's uh, it looks even better in Blu-ray. Looks gorgeous. So uh, Murdoch Mystery season ten on Blu-ray from ITV, the people who gave us the beauty of uh, Downton Abbey. Oh, NCIS, Los Angeles. Yeah, great. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll, they do NCIS uh, Antananarivo, Madagascar. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be interested. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, NCIS. This is has this run longer. How long did the original NCIS run? Where was the original NCIS? Which city? Oh boy, that's a great question. I've completely forgotten. Yeah, uh, look that up. I will figure that out. Um, NCIS Los Angeles is now in its eighth season. That's kind of amazing. Uh, it's what's funny to me too is how a lot of these figures who were once rappers. A whole generation knows them as actors and doesn't even realize they were recording artists, like LL Cool J. I mean, if you, I tell, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, that guy on NCIS Los Angeles, he started as a hip hop artist, wore a big funny hat, he was he was a thing. Will Smith, he, he was a hip hop artist. Oh, and uh, Ice T on uh, on Law and Order, yeah, he was a hip hop artist. They they don't even believe me. They think I'm joking. No, seriously, these people are were not always actors. It's the weirdest thing. I only that's how they all. Act. Anyway, Chris O'Donnell and uh, LL Cool J are, are very, very good at NCIS Los Angeles, but I still feel like this show just does the same thing over and over and over every week. Uh, 23 episodes in the six-disc set for those who feel like season seven just did not go further enough. Uh, how, many, how many seasons on that first one? Did you find it? Uh, no, but that's very interesting. Why? But the concept and the characters were initially introduced in two episodes of CBS's series Jag. Yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. seasons, uh, epi season eight, episode 20 and 21, and that's where NNCIS used to stand for Navy. Crazy. They dropped Navy, Navy NCIS, um, and they dropped the word Navy. Um, yeah. But it has not stated where, which city. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You can talk away, and when I find out, I want to say Florida, you. but it, it's for whatever reason I'm I'm completely forgetting. Just completely forgetting. Here, you know what? I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna uh, let's let, let's let's see. Let's uh, find out the original NCIS. The original NCIS city, uh, Crescent City. Uh, let's see the uh, American uh, NCIS New Orleans, but no, that's. That's different. I don't know. Crescent City. That's, yeah. Crescent City. Uh, NCIS Crescent City. No, it doesn't say. Uh, Washington, D.C.? Could be Washington. It's all interiors anyway. So Jumanji had an animated season. Did you know that? 
Actually, it, it, three seasons. Jumanji had it had, had three, no, had three seasons of an animated show. I had no idea either. I did not know that. Ed. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did not know that at all. It's never been on DVD before. Three seasons. Another forty episode show like the like Archie's weird mysteries. Uh, and uh, here's the, here's the thing about the Jumanji animated TV show. It's forty seasons or 40, 40 episodes. It's terrible. <laughs> this is some of the worst animation I have ever seen. It is staggeringly terrible. And yet, somehow, you can't stop watching it. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's, it, there's a train wreck thing going on there. And I just thought, why am I, this is the worst animation ever. And then I realized it's the voices. The voices are really good. It's really well cast. Like Tim Curry does a voice on here. Are you serious? Yeah. Interesting. And so uh, it, the, the saving grace of the thing are the voices. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Jumanji uh, now out as a uh, 40, all 40 episodes that I had no idea even existed. And uh, here's the last. Let's, let's blow through the last four here because I want to still get to some of this week's new movies. Washington, D.C. Yeah, Washington. Yeah. yeah. It's Washington, which makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, so four new, uh, four new uh, TV seasons here. We've got Once Upon a Time, the complete sixth season. Um, uh, this show is, you're so fortunate. No, I know you've never seen this because, no. because my mother-in-law is the only person I know who watches <laughs> this on a, base, on a regular basis and loves it, by the way. And every single time I've ever seen this show, I'm confused. And, and, if I, and if I get a phone call or I walk away for a couple of minutes without pausing it or whatever, and I come back, I'm, I'm lost. I am dead to the world. I have no idea. I don't know where we are. I don't know what happened. Nothing is making any sense. Maybe that's its secret. <laughs> it's so you can put it on, walk away, come back, and it doesn't matter. It just, it is so all over the place. It's just all over the map. Is uh, it a fairy tale based uh, it, it's like Yes, it's, it's, it's like taking the world of fairy tales and just melting it down and just pouring it all over it's just everything is all over the map it's it's sort of like if the fairy tale all every fairy tale got mashed together and invaded our reality it's weird and it just doesn't it never makes any sense and if you if you haven't watched it from the very first it's like anime if you haven't watched it from the very first episode all the way straight through and paid absolute attention and taken notes and passed quizzes it just it, it makes no sense I I'm, it makes me feel like an idiot really does. Uh, you know, we talked about the 22 seasons in, in Supergirl that they can't, they don't have enough story to fill. Right. Th this, is, this is like 180 episodes worth of story mashed into 22. <laughs> it's just, it's too much. It doesn't really work right. Uh, Blue Bloods, I'm going to guess you've seen Blue Bloods. I have, but yeah. I'm... Lukewarm? Again, yeah. yeah. But it's Tom Selleck. It is. He will not leave television. No, but I preferred him in Magnum. <laughs> yes, I did too. So, so here's, a, here's an interesting question. This arose on the Facebook page. Who, what actor has logged the most hours of episodic television ever? You ever give that any thought? No, I never did. It's, it, it was an interesting discussion on the Facebook page. And uh, I think it came down to... Uh, James Garner was up there, obviously, because of Rockford Files and Maverick. Right. And um, I think it came down to Michael Landon, because Michael Landon was on Bonanza for 20-some years, and then Little House on the Prairie for, whatever, 14, 15 years, and then Highway to Heaven. Those three alone put you up into, the, you know, like yeah. seven, 700 and some hours of television. What about, um, I guess, um, uh, what's his name from MASH? Alan Alda? Alan Alda. But I See, guess he didn't do anything after MASH. MASH yeah. is a half-hour show. You're kind of yeah, screwed if you're on a half-hour show. That's true. The, the, the nature of that question yeah, yeah. is not the most episodes, the most Correct. hours. Correct. If it's the most episodes, uh, you know, and Ted Dance would be up. Ted, yeah, see, but no one on Gunsmoke went on to do anything else. James yeah. Arnest did one other show, the, How the West Was Won. But I thought that was interesting. You know, Tony Danza would be up there. Yeah, he'd be up there. Wouldn't he? For just episodes. Yeah. Between Taxi and Who's the Boss. So I think Tom Selleck, you know, he'd be up there now he'd because be we're there, sure. Blue Bloods is in its seventh season. Magnum ran for twelve or thirteen or fourteen, something like that. Um, yeah, and Tom Selleck doesn't age. He's terrific. He's terrific. Uh, otherwise, I kind of agree with you. Blue Bloods is on fumes. Uh, there's a bunch of special features on this, but uh, the, the the show kind of feels like uh, you know it's been it's been around long enough. And yeah, I prefer him on Magnum. 
The other two uh, shows here, we got Bull, season one. Uh, Michael Weatherly, I'm, I'm not sold on this show yet at all. Uh, this is from Paramount and CBS. Uh, it's a legal show, you know, he's, a, he's an attorney and, you know, it try, they try to give it a little bit of a, a, a war on terror vibe, uh, but it, it, you know, elevate the stakes beyond just, you know, Perry Mason or uh, Matlock, but it's, it's not really much more. It still does everything that every other legal show has ever done. So, uh, you know, we'll see where Bull goes in future seasons. And then the blacklist just got canceled. Uh, this is the complete fourth season. The, uh, the, the, the new season does begin October 4, but I believe that's the last one. I, mean, I believe it'll be a fifth season, and then that's it. They've, they've, they'll finish it off. James Spader uh, really made quite a comeback in this thing. It was supposed to be a big deal, but um, never quite caught mm. fire the way they wanted it to. Anyway, uh, there are extras here, a, uh, you know, deleted scenes, gag reel, uh, and uh, commentaries on three episodes that are, uh, that are okay. Um, they're, not, they're not great. So, Nadim, I made, a, I made a joke on the Facebook page. I don't know if you saw it, but I, uh, I posted this along with the swag that we received promoting it. Now, go ahead and tell the people, the good people, what I'm talking about. Bring it on. Worldwide... Cheers, smack. Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, whatever. All uh, new movies. <laughs> Includes a free movie and more. Yeah, so that's... that's Blu-ray. That's a threat, not a promise. Um, bring it on is this whole franchise has stuck around way too long, the whole cheerleading nonsense thing. I don't know why this is still with us. But, but Universal, I love you, Universal, but Universal will never send us their catalog films. They will release uh, like a classic film from 19, even something as recently as 1980, 1975. They just drop it out there. They don't see any reason to promote it, to have anybody mention it. It's, it's almost like it's a bother to them that they have to release it. But then this thing comes out, and they throw mm, money swag. at this. They throw swag. It's like, why? Come on. Seriously, bring it on. Is this going to sell as much as, say, a, a special edition re-release of Xanadu? I don't think so. Well, will it sell something to the... People, people who know who what hashtag cheersmack means? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Will they buy the outfits? Will they do something that universal... Is there a merchandising element to this? I'm probably 25, at least 25 years too old for, for, for this. So I just don't get it. You know, I always ditched our uh, pep rallies in high school. So anyway, uh, Vivica Fox. Vivica Fox shows up in this to sort of hold down my generation, and uh, had, had no cheerleaders in my yeah. high school. Thank goodness, because you were chasing wildebeests. My high school. <laughs> I went to high school in Madagascar. Yeah. And my graduating class was four boys. The whole school. <laughs> the whole school had fifty kids from first to twelfth grade. But that's grade. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Barefoot, no cheerleaders. Who cares? <laughs> so uh, we're going to wrap the show out on a very depressing note today. We're going to talk about Baywatch, which comes to us on Blu-ray and DVD with an extended cut. Uh, you also get ultraviolet for that time when you just desperately want to watch the extended cut of Baywatch and, ah, oh, the disc isn't nearby. But thank goodness I, I logged in with ultraviolet and I can pull my phone out and I can watch all of the absolute awful horribleness of Baywatch all over again on my phone. I don't know what they're thinking. I really, I really don't know what they're thinking. Did you see this? No. You are so lucky. I know. Oh my gosh. Okay. So apart from the fact that it just misses completely, uh, the 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 Jump Street films are the way to do this right. Mm. Twenty one and twenty two Jump Street. Yeah. Those are the great way to do these films. Satirical, funny. This is not satirical or funny. The cameos aren't even funny. Uh, it's just, it's sad and painful, and uh, the script is horrible, and uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. They, they just miss completely what made the show kind of a camp fest. That said, Dwayne Johnson is terrific in it. He's what, great. What did they uh, spend on this movie? Oh, I'm sure this was at least $60 million. At least. It's just, it's, t it's too polished, you know? It's always my question. Why can't just a small portion of that $60 million go to getting a good writer? I don't know. <laughs> It's true. Uh, look, I will say this about Baywatch, is, as horrible as it is. Um, the, one of the first gags in the movie, there's a guy in the movie, it's, it's the worst Jewish stereotype ever. He wants to be, you know, 
on the Baywatch team, but he's a schlubby, out of, out of misshapen Jewish guy who's got the hots for a girl. And you just think, okay, it's, you know, if it's a Woody Allen movie, I'm going to buy that. By now, this is just a really ugly cliche. And, uh, of course, he makes it. Yeah, yeah right. He may, uh, you know, there's no way that this guy would just on heart alone make it. Uh, but there's the moment of his great embarrassment early in the movie is when uh, he, he gets on, on the slats of a, uh, a beach chair, he gets his, uh, his member caught between the slats, mm. and he can't bring down his arousal. And it becomes a big embarrassing moment on the beach in front of everybody, and Dwayne Johnson has to help free help him free his manhood. Now, I mean, if you're if you're a highly paid Hollywood screenwriter, let's say someone is throwing tens of thousands of dollars per week at me to come up with good ideas, I would, and and that's the best I could do. I would probably kill myself. I really would. I would spare humanity anything anything else that that I would do. I, I don't know how you I don't know how people live with themselves with that. That's just appalling to me. So manhood and slats. It's just horrible. So uh, Dwayne Johnson, Zac Efron can do much much better. Zac Efron plays a you know the, the the conflict in this for anybody that actually cares is there's like a there's a drug oh oh and that's the thing too I was going to mention because you you know Indian uh, Indian actors uh, quite well you know uh, Priyanka Chopra she's in this she's the villain. She's the baddie. Hmm. She plays a drug dealer who's, you know, well, she's, she's a very wealthy Indian uh, real estate Heiress magnate. Or something or, she's a real estate magnate. Okay. But, but what she's really doing is buying up properties and running this whole kind of meth operation or whatever. And, and first of all, that doesn't make any sense. If you've got that much money, you don't, you know, you don't drug. need a meth operation. Yeah, you really don't. It's ridiculous. But the other part of it is that... that First of all, she's a great actress, and she deserves better than this. But uh, is she involved in any slats? Yeah, <laughs> you know, thank goodness, no. But uh, the, uh, the the dumbs part of this is is that the conflict on the Baywatch end of it is that Dwayne Johnson is you know he's he plays the Hasselhoff character, right? And he's a he's a real serious lifeguard and takes no nonsense. But he's being forced to take Zac Efron onto his team as public service because Zac Efron is this bad boy. Olympian who has been shamed because of you know some fiasco in his hi in his history. In any case, uh, and while well, they they have to get over their their differences to bring down evil Indian drug lord, it's horrible. The only thing that uh, I can associate with is they have six packs. I have a keg. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I'm not going to go out on that horrible note. I'm going to go out on Dean. We're going to go out on Dean. Uh, Dean's an okay film. It's not great, but it's a better film to go out on. Uh, Dimitri Martin is a stand-up comic. He's a very, very good stand-up comic. And like many other stand-up comics of late, he's trying to do the Woody Allen thing and make a more meaningful, bittersweet, uh, serial comic uh, entry into being a filmmaker. And this got some good reaction. Uh, it's not a perfect film, but it's, you know, he, he does some interesting things with his persona. Lionsgate released this theatrically, and, uh, it, you know, he's got a decent cast here, Kevin Klein and... Uh, and uh, Mary Steenburgen and uh, a few others. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's still very Woody Allen-esque. He plays a, 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 you know, an illustrator who has a very Woody Allen kind of a, an approach to life. He's very self-deprecating and very kind of disconnected from, uh, from you know, sociability. Um, and uh, he comes from New York to Los Angeles, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a little romantic angle, and there's all the kind of the postal culture clash that you get in something like Annie Hall. So. It's a, it's a it's more promising than anything else. This premiered at uh, Tribeca last year and got some good notices. And uh, even though it's not a perfect film, I hope Dimitri Martin keeps making movies. Nadim, thank you for having been with us. And thank you. <laughs> and next week we will uh, we will at least have Mark back. Uh, I'm going to try to talk to him the next day or two. And unless Mark decides to just say farewell to everything and stay put in Paris, uh, which is not out of the cards, by the way, but um, we, will, uh, we will hear from Mark next week on the big Parisian romantic escapade. Until then, have a great week, and enjoy the fall. It is almost fall, so here we go. Coming into awards season. It's going to be a good time this year. A lot of great movies coming up. See you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>